welcome to Reverb. I'm Sophie Wadzak. I'm a co-producer on this show. My guest today is Frank Santoro. Um, welcome to the show, Frank. Thanks for having me. I should ask you this. How do you prefer to be introduced? Cool. I like author and artist, and artist sounds a little pretentious. Um, used to go through this a lot, like cartoonist. I never really say cartoonist a lot. That wasn't a term. Why not? Well, that just wasn't a term that meant like uh, Charles Scholes or um, Peanuts or something. You were a cartoonist. So then, a so comic why don't book, you like? Well, comic book artist would be somebody that was more um, like since for the last fifty years, there's been this attempt to like uh, make comic books in America more uh, legitimate or something like that. So they became more artful about fifty years ago or something, you know, purposefully so. And sort of like there was this renaissance about 30 years ago, which is now kind of reverberating into the more popular culture because all the movies and stuff right now is Mm. like so based on comic books that were like coming out when I was young. And so it's so interesting because it just like has changed like the perception of author or artist or writer um, has changed so much over the years. And so cartoonists definitely have like a comic book artist you sort of have a thing about it. Like, it's just like... Like, just what to call yourself. It's like a funny thing. So, but like, cartoonists especially, some people insist on cartoonists, some people insist on comic book artists, some people say, they say they do graphic novels, some Mm -hmm. people insist on saying um, comic books. What Um, do you say? Like, to describe, so, the two major works of yours that I am familiar with are the Pittsburgh, which just came out, and Pompeii. And what when year did that come out? 2013. Would you call, what, what do you call that object? Comic book? Uh, graphic novel? Well, I call them graphic novels, but for example, since Pittsburgh is a memoir, so it's not a novel. You know, sure. It's not fiction. So it's just like, just like, you know, Mao's is a graphic novel by Art Spiegelman is a graphic novel, but it's it's a graphic memoir but when people hear graphic they think of like graphic violence or something like that Mm. so like just the whole idea of like personal expression through a commercial medium just like in film you know you know took a while to develop comic books didn't really exist until the 30s but like the sunday funnies like you know newspapers were sold because of the color sections that the printing presses were just being able to do Mm -hmm. and so that was the the allure of buying this paper that paper often was because it was wrapped in this colorful paper. Mm. So, so, but that's totally off track, but it's a good <laughs> conversation just because like, actually that's the kind of conversation I don't have when I'm talking to, uh, uh, to my peers. Sure. Or, you know, because like, this is like, comics now is ascendant in the, cu- in the culture. Mm-hmm. And so, so what's interesting about comics being ascendant in the culture is like, comics are like the internet where it's like words and images mixed together like you would never read a giant long article even in the New Yorker without a, a few Ill, you know cartoons and stuff to, to break up the space but like on a, a, a on a blog post or like an article that you read like there's always going to be attendant images mm-hmm. you know and that was never you know there was always like a technological divorce of the word and the image since the beginning of the printing press so it's just like that's another thing that's like we take for granted but like you had to have tip you had to have your images tipped into the books if you wanted mm-hmm. them and a lot of authors like henry james like of course didn't want illustrations in their books because the the illustrators got more attention got more money mm-hmm. you know and then and so like and so it, there's just been this like they're separate they're separate it's so it's just 
art and commerce is what I'm just like, the bottom line is like, I'm so just like jazz, just like art, there's like, there's different ways of engaging culture. And so like, um, it's like, it's just a fascinating conversation. Like I think about that stuff all the time, you know. Let's talk about you. How long have you been making comics? Well, you know, the easy answer is, of course, since I was, you know, five years old. Or, Always. Or, you know, but then I, Bill published my first comic when I, when I was 16. Like, Bill, I mean, what's, his, what's his phone name? Boyshell. Bill Boyshell, and he owns Copacetic, Copacetic Comics um, in Polish Hill. Okay. So okay. Well, when I was 16, um, me and a couple other kids that hung out at the comic book store that Bill had in Wilkinsburg... Um, he published our um, two issues of our comic, and then we would, um, he, you know, he then he sold it in his store, and then he sold it to distribution, um, comic book distribution companies. And so, like, I've been published, I think, professionally since. Yeah, I consider that since the 16th, so that was 1988. Wow. Yeah. Will you tell me a little bit about how you developed your style? Like, to me, the comics that you make are they feel. I don't know, like, I've never seen anything exactly like them before. Like, they seem very unique to me. It strikes me that your style is unique. I don't know as much about the comics universe as you do, but will you talk to me about how, you're, how you sort of sure. develop your style and how it maybe, like, where it fits in in the Thanks. spectrum of... Thank you. Um, I was very lucky where I had a fine arts education and I had a comics education kind of at the same time, so to me they're the same thing. Where did you go to school? Here in Pittsburgh, I, I went to Pittsburgh, I graduated from Pittsburgh Kappa. Okay. Um, but then I didn't always go there for all of high school, but then the fine arts I, I went program. to the Carnegie, you know, Saturday morning arts programs and the Carnegie pre-college program. So I had like a um, particularly precocious, you know, fine arts training in Pittsburgh, which is available to um, kids in Pittsburgh, which I think is wonderful about Pittsburgh. But then I also had a very... Uh, precocious, you know, you know, like I was just like a super comic book nerd since I was like five years old, and then we had a family friend who gave me his comic book collection, which was extensive when I was like seven. Okay. And so I got really serious. About how many? Comics. How many comics did we talk? And how how many? Three thousand. Three thousand. Okay. You know, and so like what kind of stuff? All the Spider Man. Like I had everything. By the time I was in high school, I I had all of the what's what are called the key books now. So I had Fantastic Four number one. You know, the first appearance of Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15. You know, I had all the Spider-Man, every single Spider-Man I had. You know, and so, and they were, you know, I, you know, I would mow lawns and, you know, take my allowance and I would always just, you know. You Buy know. more. And I, it was the best investment I could have made. And then I sold all that stuff in college because I needed money. But now that stuff is worth like 10 times really? what it was. And so I was like, a re- like, I just. You were like kid rich, I, right? I was kid rich. But just like, um. <laughs> But then I blew it all, of course, like, you know, when I needed the money. And well, so I st- I'm still doing that now. Like, and so, like, that's kind of what's interesting about comics, too, is, like, the, again, with the commerce. Anyway, in the 70s, when comics, what we now call art comics, or comics that are, like, more artfully done, there was a culture, a fanzine culture, a fan culture that supported that. And so there was a lot of self-publication. Some of the most famous uh, comics artists of the, of the time, like Wally Wood, for example, you know, made his own fanzines and then would publish the work of younger artists there. And so then the next generation of people that went on to become professionals, you know, started these fanzines. And that's again like a lot of music culture, especially the punk, you know. And so Bill was sort of in the intersection of that, and he was part of like the proto-punk 
stuff musically in, in Pittsburgh, and then he worked at, um, he ran Pittsburgh Filmmakers and brought a lot of really great experimental uh, film here. And, um, and so Pittsburgh was like a great, anyway, so Bill ran comic book conventions when I was, he was like a, you know, such a wonderful presence on our um, scene and like, you know, it's, I can't even over, I, I can't overstate how important, you know, Copacetic, I mean, it wasn't called Copacetic Comics then. What was it called then? It was called BEM, B-E-M, which stands for Bug-Eyed Monster in like the sci-fi parlance. Parlance? The parlance. The parlance, oh yes, the parlance, I've heard of that. <laughs> um, but like, it's just like there were these regional voices and then so like here in Pittsburgh there's like you know three or four really good comic book stores to this day and back then there was just as many and there's just a healthy like the the universities um it just speaks to like people's interest in weird creative art mm-hmm. so it's just like comics now it's like considered like serious you know not literature, you know, um, serious. Is it art. not? You don't think of it as literature? I don't think it can, can compete really. Like it's just like it's not fair to like compare the greatest comics to the greatest novels. Sure. Like, it's just not. It's like comparing a painting to a not. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. A lot of there's a lot of pre. You know, like people have their own. They're coming to the table mm-hmm. with these like suppositions about the form, just the form itself. So a lot of people feel that graphic novels or comics is a genre. And it's like, it's not a genre, silly. Like, and so when people say that, I just don't even bother correcting them because, like, they just think that, like, comics means superhero, crazy proportions, crazy ideas. You know, you can tell quiet, intimate, poetic stories in comics, but, like, it's just so... That's why, like, people use the word sequential art or... Mm -hmm. Uh, graphic novels or any of these types of things but anyway so this is kind of why i wanted to talk with you because space and place is such like this setting of pittsburgh your most recent can we call it a graphic novel is that what we should say is about the place right like even in the title it's pittsburgh but in terms of the stories you want to tell you spoke earlier about how like comics can be like big superhero adventures or they can be like more poetic for me your work is more poetic is that always how your work has been? What what is why is that what you gravitate toward? Can you kind of tell me a little bit about your True. approach to the, to the story itself? Um, well, thanks for saying all that. Um, I, well, space is the place, as as the great Sun Ra would say. Um, so, I, I used to just I wanted to do you know sort of like a sci-fi comics or something like that. I never I did superhero comics when I was of course like young but then in my teenage years I got really into like sci-fi and stuff and so I, I, I wanted to do like a sci-fi comic. Just coincidentally this is I think interesting to me because the previous artist that I spoke with also sort of cites sci-fi as like... Because that's, a, well, so that's an interesting thing too about yeah. like how sci-fi has just changed in the culture like the appreciation of sci-fi or sci- sci-fi is getting canonized now or whatever like you know like um, and so authors like Phil K. Dick, or, you know, someone is is just like completely read completely differently now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you started out sci-fi, just sort of. but like or yeah, as an but visually, like it was mm-hmm. like it, I used to just draw like I would have like sci-fi elements and just sort of like regular Pittsburgh backgrounds because in school I was learning how to draw like um, contour line drawing landscapes and that was like a big part of our 
education and so I just would set stories in Pittsburgh and I would eyeball the space and so that was part of what I was saying is like there was a certain moment where like after doing it for like 10 years you know they say like 10,000 hours like after like 10,000 hours of like doing that then like when I moved to California and I wanted to draw a story that was set in Pittsburgh it was easy for me to just imagine what it looked like and just draw that space like I didn't need photos I was cartooning the space so to speak Mm -hmm. and it's like that's and it's like it's an it's like this switch turned on and so once I realized that my strength for the most part was depicting this sort of mundane everyday space Mm -hmm. in an evocative way um I always injected my stories with that. You could turn up the artifice on the daily life. Like you could, you didn't have to have a sci-fi scene or a car chase. It's really just two people in a room talking. And if you could inject the everyday with kind of like this artificial color, you know, turn up the, 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 the melodrama so to speak even in the lighting you know or something then because like romance comics and paintings of people done realistically is it's kind of boring and then like photography like beats all that all <laughs> the time and so movies work where it's just two people in a room talking and moving yeah. around but comics it's really hard to pull off that kind of stuff of just like two people having conversations so like a like you couldn't necessarily have a you know dinner with Andre or something mm-hmm. you know you couldn't really do that yeah. you could but it like there just, has to be some action somehow would you say I think you just have to move people through the space and so sure. that's what I was you know like in my books like that's what I try to do is I try to bring the reader into the space in a different way than most kind of pretty flat background like maybe just like even a color hold as we call it mm-hmm. so just like in my in this book Pittsburgh, which is about my parents, my parents, um, children of the '60s. You know, my dad went to Vietnam. My mom was still in high school at the time, and um, so I frame my story with their courtship and divorce, and um, me growing up here and moving away, and then maybe moving back. And so, um, it's a pretty boring story to everybody else but to me you know it's like that's the story I want to tell but like it wasn't even a story that I wanted to tell but like then how do you tell it and then so like what all do this... you mean it wasn't a story you wanted to tell well it's, you know it's difficult it's a hard story you know so it's like um, uh, a story of loss and it's, mm-hmm. it's a monument there's a great review that said it was a monument to loss uh, <laughs> yeah I read that the, it was like a, a story of monumental loss I can't I think that's yeah so it's a story about your parents but you've called it Pittsburgh. Why? Um, Talk about that. Um, well, that goes with being published in France first, also. Um, my working title was Never Comes Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which um, was just sort of a language play that just meant, like, it's never going to happen, or, you know, or like, never comes tomorrow, or mm-hmm. tomorrow comes never, like, how do you know, think, you know. Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> And that didn't translate really well. Like I, um, my publisher didn't like the title, and then conveniently, this is just kind of funny. I think is like he we were in the contract. He wrote 
Pittsburgh because it was the, the Pittsburgh. We kept calling it the Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. The Pittsburgh book. You know, just you know. And but you uh, were already calling it that, or is it because it you were talking no, about it? No, it wasn't. Like, it was just more that because it was like that's where it's it from. looked like you know, like you know, because he. It's just the manuscript. It's just you know, oh, there's Pittsburgh drawings. You know, mm-hmm. There's all these landscapes and mm-hmm. stuff. And, but at the um, same time, it being in Pittsburgh is a big part of the story. Yeah, well, the, so, but then that, it, but like all of my, and then I, it dawned on me that my other two books were place names, so story of yeah. Pompeii, and then I associate Pompeii with Pittsburgh in a, in a, uh, in a project in between that that I did for the Carnegie Museum, um, and so, yeah, and so it just worked, and then I. Because he had that in the contract, I just suggested it, and he was like, "Yes, perfect." And then, conveniently, that was when the Paris Accord thing hmm. was going on. And then, um, he, the president who shall not be named, said, um, "I make decisions for Pittsburgh, not for yeah, for for yeah, for Paris." And um, and so that put hmm. Pittsburgh on the radar of French, of French readers, people. and hmm. so we just used that little bit of. So it's like, and then, but it's then like it's kismet, right? Like, but it was also like he was like, it's better because like it gives the reader like people, they're not going to care about your necessarily care about your story. Sure. But the place looks so interesting. The way mm-hmm. you depict place is so interesting. But also like it helps place it for them. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how many people have been to Pittsburgh. I mean, I traveled a lot. I didn't travel a lot, but in France, I went to five different cities, and in all of those different cities. They were like, oh, yeah, Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh-huh, yes. It's with the downtown, with the thing, with the rivers. Wow. You know, like, huh. You know, and so it's interesting because, like, a lot of people, they come here, so they, go, they, they like, land in New York, they rent a car, and then mm-hmm. they head, and then so, like, you're going to hit Pittsburgh sure. and go up or down, and then I was like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like maybe go to St. Louis because if you go this way, like, yeah. this is flat. You well, know, what was their sense south? of it? Like, did, I'm, I'm interested because, so... Pittsburgh, the book, was published in France first, as you said. How... Because if you live in Pittsburgh, like, your book is... Like, it's pit, like it captures it. Like, in a way, like, it's it looks so familiar. How do you think that translates to a French audience? Like, how is it... I thought an interesting... Um, I, I like this. Like, there was a great bookstore in... Um, Besançon, which was like on the Roman road, I believe, and um, there's a placard in the in the window for my signing there, and it said in French that it was like a this book was fantastic, like a Bruce Springsteen album, yeah, or song, um, and so like we have to remember that like these images of like what a working class town looks like has been broadcast and so when you see frame houses and rivers and factories that broadcast a certain thing Mm -hmm. and then the color palette that i'm choosing to use is is kind of is pretty french and like um, it's it's like bright and so like people so like a lot of people here say it doesn't look like pittsburgh because it's not not from here but in america Mm -hmm. north america say you know like the pittsburgh i know is very gray and <laughs> but would and, would they rather it be gray throughout? I feel like the, it brings like I don't know the color for me is like a big part of it because it Pittsburgh is you know much of the year just kind of a gray backdrop in a lot of places like not all the time and but it is it is sort of like a neutral backdrop. But for me, the color in your book is more about mood or feel or like the sense of the memory that you're talking about. So is that? 
like in your world, do those colors mean things on their own? Like, is there a color language that you're working with, or are you sort of it's inventing like kinda, that? Like, I I was thinking about this last night actually, because like, um, like a lot of the stuff I'm drawing is like a kind of a quality of light I think that happens in the morning or in the evening that you know not quite magic hour but just like those purples or lilacs and then there's oranges and particularly in Pittsburgh like you have this nice like kind of like maybe gray sky um, but then sun's coming through and then these like kind of like greeny purpley mountains on this side and then these like orange lights mm-hmm. and like the orange lights across the river and stuff like that and that's real particular to Pittsburgh it doesn't you don't get that a lot and so um it, well I mean and it's also because of like the cubist views that we have in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. so like growing up here and learning how to draw street scenes here there's no street scenes that look like Toledo where it's just flat right you know and so you have these compressed views like it just like there was like an accordion there you know yeah. and so like, and they're like like, like the vista the this, like a, so you, you just, it just i mean i've been all around the states and like yeah. this it does not look like it doesn't that's what i mean it's like when i was in california like it just looks so different like yeah. when you draw the houses and the hills and stuff in san francisco like it just it says i'm in san francisco mm-hmm. it's just like those houses don't look like anything in la you know they don't look like anything anywhere and so um purposely setting a story in a in a place where like i could just draw the backgrounds casually like i I used to do work as a background artist for like some some movies um and stuff animated movies and the i didn't know that yeah uh the great dash shaw he did a great movie called my entire high school sinking into the sea and um it has some great celebrity voices and uh, it's a fantastic thing it used to be on Netflix it might still be but you can definitely watch the trailer uh, somewhere so um, but he would say I would do a background for something and he would say well I never thought about like having the road then go up and then you could show the houses on the ridge mm-hmm. and you know just like this kind of classic Pittsburgh view he's like I just would have made it flat and yeah like yeah well you know then you just create the space different and blah 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 and so and I that to me is just like I just absorb that yeah. here right so like that's easy seems natural it's, right like if you're seeing yeah, it around I think so. yeah. yeah so then I'm interested in like I just I'm thinking about like book production as like there's like storybooks there's art books there's mags there's so many ways of like transmitting information really that's what it's about like it's like trying to capture like your expression like how like that's why the human voice is often the most beautiful because it can transmit the emotion Mm -hmm. the musicality the math of it and the message and then the word and then it hooks you and then wham you know and so like if you you know that's what i hope it's like my i want my stuff to be like a song or something so like you know like you could listen to it over and over again so to speak mm-hmm. you could like you know just kind of like let the images whereas a painting just sort of sits on the wall and you like it works on you in this different way that's just there a book closes its covers and goes on the shelf and so mm-hmm. like when you read it like when you're reading words mm-hmm. they stick with you in this different way and you don't really go back and read in the same way whereas like a graphic novel like I've had this experience a lot especially with families like they're like I loved your book but I read it in like 10 minutes I'm like there weren't that many words in it. You're like, yeah, well, you want to read the drawings as yeah. long as you read the, 
images so it's just like again it's about that depiction so it's just like instead of it being a page and a half of words for me to give you the emotional content of what this drawing of a room is mm -hmm. I've just done it in like you know of, of colors and shapes and, 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 and the thing that I've done on a 2D surface transmits you know a room an, a room with orange walls with a blue carpet hmm. you know uh, I think it's interesting that what you said like you have to read the drawings as long as the words do you notice a literacy or a lack of literacy in people like knowing how to read is that a thing like do you have to learn how to read graphic really yeah work? it's like it's a I looked at portfolios recently at uh, uh, Pittsburgh Kappa. You know, they had the eighth graders coming in to, to show their portfolios. This is the fine arts, to, yeah. for those of people who aren't Pittsburgh yeah. adjacent, it's like a fine arts high school in town. So they were showing their portfolios and they needed to hit these marks. Like they had to have a self portrait, like an exterior, an interior, this and that, you know. And if they were applying to a specialized English school, let's say, or English language school, and not an arts language school. These poor children couldn't read or write. Yeah. And so it's it's like they couldn't answer a question about what artist, like name one artist that you like. Yeah. They couldn't answer. Not even like a Warhol or something. And just as simple would be, I look at Pinterest. I look online. And then, okay, and then I know I can tell you read comic books, tell me one comic book that you like. Mm -hmm. And then they fi I finally get a title out of them, and then I can, and I'm talking their language a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're re required to do a self portrait, often they're turning in like, I mean, it's just a cartoon. Yeah. And it's not like they didn't look in a mirror or look at a photo of themselves and like learn. And then, and then when I would question them about it, generally they had like really limited art classes and so yeah. of course the art classes so it would be like a music education that's getting cut or an arts program that's getting cut but it's like a it's a language thing that's getting cut mm -hmm. and so like this is what I think is just not understood is that like drawing and like image building and the ability to speak in emojis if you will it, it's critical that mm -hmm. it, it, the, the earlier that's a, possible for any learner mm -hmm. it, 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 that, it, that it's mentored and it's 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 it, it's embraced and encouraged because you know if we I, I think we could all agree that language has gone downhill and just the ability to articulate has gone downhill and so some people blame stuff like emojis and stuff like that now for, for that but it but that's what's beginning to happen like the image and the text are fighting it out and so like the 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 deficiency in being able to read images is huge. It's just like it's just the same like being able to like like appreciate real music or something like that. It's I interesting mean, that you say that though because currently now with technology you do see you were speaking before about sort of a divide of like production of word and production of image in the process of publishing and creating like books or anything. This isn't the case anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong, but DIY comics are there's a rise of them in the past but that's a rebellion because like the rebellion is like it's like the kids are rebelling against the parents because the parents you know they never they didn't grow up with all that and so like the kids are like choosing stuff that the parents don't know anything about and then since the kids know how to put instagram posts together since they're five and then the parents just as new to the parents though yeah then so everyone's talking baby language to each other so there's nobody mentoring them and saying like you know making them read like you know 
Art in the Age of Reproduction by Walter Benjamin or whatever it's, yeah. you know, or something like that. All of that critical thinking that happened about all, you know, these things is lost on these five-year-olds with phones and my little niece is one of them and it's just like yeah they're i call them indigo children like they can they're just they talk to each other and they like they read each other's minds they don't need us yeah you know and so it's just like they don't so our our need to have them be able to articulate themselves is what i'm talking about it's just like so so like i mean and this happened when i was teaching recently is like once I get the trust, the language trust of these, like once they see that, like I'm, I can mm-hmm. draw in this way, or like you know, like you know, like I brought in, like my buddy worked on Adventure Time, like he was a story, oh, really? storyboarder, and so when I, cool. they were like, whatever, Mr. Santoro, and then I was just like, and I was doing my riff about how everything can just be this one little drawing, and then they're like, mm-hmm, like whatever, <laughs> and then I showed them like the storyboards for Adventure Time, and then then they were like they snapped to attention because they're just like okay that's what i want to do but then this is the rub it's like they don't need to have the technical motor skills to actually do it now because you could actually just make you know like like there's a there's an app on your phone like they're so there's the kids are making stuff with technology now that like they can bypass all the steps that normal like Mm. so just like the motor skills it's more like collage like putting different stuff together, right? Like different. Right, but it's like, but it's treated that way. It's like treated like a kid thing, mm-hmm. instead of like it's like fucking surgery or something. It's like there's not, you know, like try to try to train the the, the future surgeon to like hold a scalpel and 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 it's just like it's like take it seriously. Like grab yeah. the pen, you know, you know, draw this head, do the like, oh, do it. And mm. so like I know I'm being harsh on them, but just like that's, it's just like the technology is making it so easy to like. They don't want to draw on pens even anymore. They just want to draw it on their iPad. Yeah. And then that gets into friggin' class and friggin' and, and all kinds of men, you know, and so... That to me is something that's really redeeming about comics is right, that... Right, it's so... It's accessible. Like, you only need it, right. pen and paper. Right. So I have, I have this whole online course where I teach. I can teach people all over the world, but, like, just getting them to use my system, which is, like, I draw everything on index cards and then you kind of use the index cards to like edit you know like storyboards before you commit to all these other things because well see the whole thing is like that's the other thing with comics is like there's this like you think that you have to start with this page of a grid that you know is like a jail sentence that you have to like fill each little frame and blah 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 and so you have to like break break out of that jail but then you have to sort of embrace the grid the grid is really like that's back to that design thing it's like the grid is everywhere it's like the matrix is like you know and so like it wraps around you it's the force you know it's yoda it's all these things it's like you know don't be afraid of the grid like people just they think the grid is like and so you see all these books especially graphic novels and especially ones drawn in north america it's like they just don't understand the timing of it all and Mm. so just like music you can write the craziest music you want to on paper or like write a crazy time signature or something like that Mm -hmm. but you know if you keep changing the time signature every time you make the reader turn the page and so you have a whole new panel arrangement you have a whole new grid arrangement and so that's what my whole system is based on like a learning the the whole thing like 
music and so mm-hmm. like you're dealing with because you're dealing with in comics you're dealing either with a two three proportion or a three four proportions generally you know most books are you know four by seven or you know like you know, eight and a half by eleven or something eight mm-hmm. and a half by eleven is like a three by four proportion and six by ten is like a you know like a, it's a two three proportion essentially and so if you arrange the panels on the page you can have kind of a waltz time or you can have a four four time and so just like music is in the air yeah you just start playing and so just start filling you could actually just start filling those squares or rectangles with color and then so you just had this color progression or digression or you know monotone tone and then you know turn the page and then maybe you change the panel arrangement but so i'm i think of like that's the measure so the the left and the right of the page when you look at a comic book or look at any book but particularly a comic book particularly a graphic novel you know it's a diptych you're looking at the left and the right side of the page together and many of you remember probably reading Calvin Hobbes in the newspaper Mm. and I would have to cover up that final panel with my hand because I would always want to read that final panel first and it's the same in bookmaking comic bookmaking so you have the left and the right panel so generally you have to have like some kind of action that takes place on the right hand page but if you turn that page and then you have the we call it the reveal Hmm. on the page turn so you can do a lot of reveals on the page turn and even though probably as you turn that page you'll look at the right hand side of that page Mm -hmm. spread before you look at the left hand side of the page reveal so you have to kind of one has to compose their pages and their spreads you know with that in mind and that's the only thing you can really control because i've I've watched it a million times. It's like most people, when they look at your book or you give them their book, to, they're going to flip it on its front cover and kind of like flip through the pages with their thumb from the back. Yeah. You know, and so that's the only art form that you do that. You don't look at the last couple of pages of a novel and start reading it. Yeah. You don't fast forward on the DVD menu to yeah. the end of the movie. But a graphic novel, like, because I did a, a story about Pompeii where, of course, the, you know, the, you know, the, the Vesuvius erupts and and like if they if you start in the end and you see how it's ending you've given away like you know and so it's just stuff like that and so like it's just interesting because like then you can the only thing you control my point is the left and the right and so I'm interested in sort of that lateral movement between and that's more like kids storybooks right Mm -hmm. and so like kids storybooks will, will go from like the left and the right and they'll be like a grassy you know, thing yeah. on the bottom of a tree, and then maybe like there's a there's a eight there's a, a one two kind of movement. Yeah. You know, they might even repeat the thing. But it takes up the whole spread. It takes up the whole spread, and that's very normal. And so even if you read the left first and the right first, or the left is just space filler of the sky, yeah. and the right has the information. Okay, you're still taking all that in as one. Generally, in comic books, generally, comic books are tall and skinny. And so there's more of a kind of like, you kind of like scroll down the left and then vault back Mm. up to the right. And so there's kind of like the zigzag movement, snake movement on the left, and then a kind of bolt up to the to the right, and then a snaky thing Mm -hmm. coming down. And so I feel like that that's those are like 
chords that have to resolve okay. all the time. All right. And so I'm more interested in a lateral kind of modal mm-hmm. movement. So it just is the is the heartbeat of the left right. So boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. And then on top of that you can do so much. And so you are playing you're playing melodies, but I'm I'm I feel like I'm playing melodies, but I'm not those chords don't have to resolve. And the way you see that often done in comics is like they'll have they'll have this like this structure like I talked about and then they'll resolve it by either going to a full empty page mm-hmm. or back to the original grid that they so if they start with like a, a, a six panel grid or a four panel grid or something like that then they kind of go crazy and then they like let it expand to like to a whole open space maybe even a spread and then they'll start again with a grid and so yeah. it's just like a it's a it's resolving the chord and so like I just think that that's tie that tires the reader so especially a new reader to comics um, can get exhausted by comics. I mean, they're so dense sometimes. Like, yeah. They're so hard to read. And so, like, um, and, and, and so I feel my, like my, my work is beyond the song structures and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm playing, I'm, I'm hoping to like evoke, I don't want to say tone poem or something like that, you know, because it could be a symphony, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, it's it it's just in the way that I'm very conscious of like how the reader is going to like interact with my with my work and how how many words are going to be on that page and like how that all works together. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I want to talk to you about is um, first I want to get this out of the way. So you the the two works of yours that maybe want to talk to you as part of this series right are in particular Pittsburgh and Pompeii because are they both your most recent. Pompeii came right before Pittsburgh. So they're both places. They both start with P, coincidentally. But you were mentioning earlier that you see some sort of what connection between Pittsburgh and Pompeii, or they resonate for you together. Will you explain and talk a little more about that? Sure. I think it's like um, Pittsburgh's just sort of frozen in time in a particular way. Um... It's like it erupted, and that was like, let's say it's 1860 or whatever, and then the ash and everything goes up in the air, you know, and everyone's kind of like staring at it, you know, and then like by the time it all comes down, it's like the Super Bowl Steelers, you know, perfect life, you know, factories are work and everybody's got a job, you know, like blah, 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 and then by the time it like suffocates it's all it's like 1990 and we're just like frozen in this time of like that's what I don't know it's just like like the, the last of the factories closed like right at the end of the 80s right like some, the, I mean it's just like an, ex, an, an interruption because like it you know Pittsburgh is ground zero for you know the industrial revolution in North America it's just this molten I mean, the Cary Blast Furnace is just over the hill from me. Mm-hmm. So we grew up with that. This graphite would get sent into the air and cover every surface. And there'd be like this shiny kind of like gray graphite like on everything. And so it was like getting buried alive, you know. And so, um, you know, and it was just like fire. It smelled like rotten eggs. Like that, um, they used sulfur to... Or, made sulfur I guess I, I, I forget how the process works but so in any event um, 
you know, just like somehow that that resonated with me, and I had <clears throat> I was lucky enough to like go to Pompeii in 2003 when I went there with uh, the painter I worked for, and um, he had an exhibition in Napoli, and then when my book finally got published in Italy two years ago. I also got to have an exhibition in Napoli. Cool. And uh, in the same museum, actually, the archaeological museum. And so some of the book is in the permanent collection there, which is amazing. And so, like, I. That is amazing. Yeah, I'm just like. And they treated me. What an achievement. That's really cool. Well, that's very nice to say. I'm more about it's that uh, they they were surprised that an American could do a. Like, such a. I don't know if they said poetic, but just like you, you, how to to actually do something emotionally resonant um, with the material and not like make it into like a, a bad action movie or something like that. Yeah. And um, no one there, like if you grew up in Italy, like it's impossible to be like kind of like a classical Italian artist because like the weight of history is so great that like there's nothing you could ever achieve in like your rendering drawing ability that would outshine the masters so so me making the stab at doing a graphic novel about Pompeii and drawing it in the style of what they consider to be like Pompeian graffiti they got that part but that's not necessarily on most other readers radar and so sure. just like I drew it in gray but like I I printed it on an off you know like a parchment color paper mm-hmm. and you know used like a sepia you know color yeah. so it looks like just kind of like the brown walls with like the carvings in them yeah know, it feels like yeah like yeah like so you're describing the wall yeah. of it mm-hmm. and, and it's such a it's so it feels very um impressionist to me or post-impressionist like sure. they kind of like like it reminds me a little of pastel drawings. I, I don't know. I sure it's it's cool. It's like but that's a language too. You yeah. Know? Like and so like that's what's wonderful about drawing is that drawing goes back in time in that same way because like that particular way of drawing like a realistic cartoony approach like has existed for so long. It's like mm-hmm. you know like I mean that's what's so interesting about some of the renaissance stuff that we take for granted now but like giotto the precursor to michelangelo was like doing throwback art because he you know the byzantine Mm -hmm. style had been the style for centuries so he was doing like you know like first century a.d pompeii like you know there was a there was even a nostalgia for pompeii you know what i mean so yeah it's so it's such an old story and and it existed in memory like it was wiped from memory but just like you there was still artifacts and Mm. things that exist in these other places but um within italy um and so i just find all that fascinating Mm. and so like i but working for i worked for an italian you know working for this italian artist also um which is part of the narrative so like i worked for this crazy painter and he's wonderful he's the greatest but he's quite a character in his own way and so i just turned up the volume on that part of it but the idea of depicting you know an artist's life in new york city in in 2000 2001 or something like like that seemed kind of crazy and then 9 11 happened in september 11th the you know the, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the world trade center never forget so that happened when i was in new york and then i just put 
those like because I remember when it happened we mm. all just stood around looking at it like huh wonder how they're gonna fix that you know and so it's <laughs> yeah. just like you don't you don't just turn around and run the other way just like in Pompeii like when it happens like I just have everybody sort of like standing like, around oh. looking at it and then having the Clemente character draw the volcano like no one drew the volcano like Pliny the elder wrote his account but like like it's like just I'm sure somebody drew it. Yeah. Like, think about it. You know, so like and so that was part of the I don't want to give away the, the story, but just like that's part of the narrative. Yeah, I think it's cool how Pittsburgh and Pompeii both are sort of this sort of explosion and then like fade on a different time scale. I wanted to ask you about your style because you were talking about storyboarding earlier. In Pittsburgh, it's sort of it feels sort of storyboardy at times. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that aspect of your style came about when I was I think in second grade I got a the storyboards of Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. and it just changed my world because like I there was so many more drawings for what was on the movie and there was all these other scenes that felt to me as real as the thing that I saw on the screen and then when I realized that those things that were on the screen was then what they used to make the screen then I just mm-hmm those storyboards just became so more important and then you would find like for all the Empire Strikes Back stuff and Star Wars stuff there was always like these paintings and so you're like oh my god yeah. you know it's just like I love that stuff the concept art sure. for the yeah so it just so cool. boggles them especially as a child like you just like lose it yeah. and so like that space that emotional space that physical the mental space that artistic space that creative space like that's just what I'm trying to get back to always artistically is just like that initial like oh you know and so like you could make you can make a movie you can make anything from these tiny little drawings like these little notations and so I think that those drawings are more interesting always Mm. you know I appreciate the need for perfection in art and the uh, you know finish you know or something Um, my work is definitely rough hewn um, but there's like a there's like a like a beauty in it and I think there's like the that's the the paradox of great art I I hope to achieve is that then the beauty with the rough hewnness of it somehow like they work in tandem and there's a harmony there Mm. like I by no means compare myself to the great Miles Davis but like Miles played very beautiful ballads because his ballads he had a beautiful tone Mm. you know and so just the notes that he hit created an emotional resonance so like I feel that I can draw an emotionally resonant way and so like the stories that I generally tell are like more kind of like ballads Mm. if you will because like playing like these articulated notes very quickly in a way like maybe a pen and ink type of illustrator would do you know where it's very detail oriented like I'm I kind of want to have like these broader strokes you know and so like that's just the style of, this is the style of playing you know mm-hmm. but then like I had people you know the other torturous thing about being cartoons you have to do these trade fairs where you stand behind the table and people like look at your book and they sort of you can tell by their like reaction to your book if they like it or they don't just by like the way they look at the drawing and then mm-hmm. they have you know, somebody say to you like is this as good as you can draw <laughs> you know, has anybody said that to you in real oh, life yeah. oh my goodness oh, many times you know like are you drawing like this on purpose or is this is this is as good as you can draw and so it's just like you one would never do that in an art gallery in a in a music venue mm. like you know you play to your thing you know so like i'm it's 
you know, it's a weird... I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes, like, my books, like, frustrate people where they're, like... It doesn't, um... Resolve or something. Like, this book in particular, like, you know, like, Pompeii, like, resolves. Yeah. Because it's Pompeii. Mm-hmm. And then my first book, actually, like, resolves better than this book. Because people are like, you didn't... I don't want to give away the, the yeah. ending, but just, like, it's, like, it doesn't resolve in this, like, neat way. It because, doesn't wrap up. Because it's just, neatly. like, my no one died. You know, it's, like, it's you can tell someone's biography is, is the moment they die, then it's just, like, this happened, and then this happened, yeah. and then this happened. Well, also, I mean, it's, like, a true, I mean, it's, like, like you said, it's a memoir. It's, it's real. So it doesn't have to, like, have it, because it's not, like, a... Grecian drama. It's not like a Shakespeare play. But it also doesn't wrap up with like a little like cute little meme, you know, like right. I mean it's just like I just think there's this weird expectation and I don't think it's just like T V and movies fault or whatever, but just like that like when there's like characters that do fucked up shit and they're not characters and maybe they're real people and then it's just like there's like Everybody wants, like, a bow wrapped on it mm. or something like that. Yeah. Like, so there's this, like, when improv works and it's great, it might have these great moments, but mm-hmm. then, you know, it, the tightness of some perfect narrative or something like that. Yeah. But this goes back to what you were talking about earlier about it being, like, music. Like, if you have, like, a layout, sort of a template, and then, like, apply, like, improvise within it, it doesn't necessarily need to have an ending like not all not all pieces of music like sure. have like a like it's not like a, a, a overture yeah, like yeah. so it's sort of the same right like it doesn't I I kind of like how it's just like because then in itself that sort of like lack of like fanfare about it being over hits you as well because you're like oh it feels like there's you have a rea- I had a reaction That's, to it thank you no, I, 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 I in the in the making I like it but then like you know years go by and then you know. You just, it's like, what's, that's what's just so interesting about it. Like, it's still, like, when it works, it works. But just often, like, when people enjoy something, they say less about something mm-hmm. than when they dislike. So it's just like, what you hear is just the people, you know, like, being like, eh. You know, with that Pompeii yeah. book, like, how come he didn't, you know, they actually said, like, he's never heard of an inker, which is what we call somebody who puts the black lines around mm-hmm. a pencil drawing, or a letterer. You know, because it's just like I drew it in pencil, right? And used my own handwriting as the. It's just like what's that like lack of literacy? Like it's not that lack of awareness about what's intentional and what's exactly. like a lack of exactly. Which is but then again, that's what you have to assume about the audience. So the, mm-hmm. you know you have to assume that your audience is just going to be a bunch of morons. Which <laughs> generally, they usually are, and so to get any informed feedback is always so. It's just like. Because then they'll be like, you know, really trusted peers of mine, and they'll be like, oh, it was great. I loved it. Very moving. And then, like, because they like, and that's all they'll say, yeah. you know? And then and then it might have been a difficult story for them. It might have been this, might have been, maybe because it's about my family, they don't say much about it. Hmm. But, you know, it's just like, it's interesting how things get talked about. And so then, like, as the time moves on, so that's what's been so wonderful about different reactions over time to other books, because, like, you... You, that you you let that child go, mm. you know, or something, and that, and and so, and um, you know, it, it it's just it's a validating experience. It's just um, that's what I mean. It's like I I think I had this motivation to get that kind of you know to get this like feedback, and then I don't know what I thought. Like I either thought I was gonna have like some kind of like moment with my parents separately. Mm-hmm. 
or I didn't necessarily think together, but I also thought maybe, I don't know, I don't know what I thought. You yeah. know, it's just like you always had this weird expectation when you put something out in the world and then it always messes with you a little bit. Not, you know, I mean, I'm very happy. I'm just more like, um, like with an art opening, for example, like when you have a gallery show and then you have a party and then mm. people show up and then, oh, it's great, you know, and even if no one likes it and you get a crappy review the next day, like you still got to see all your friends. You still so. have that moment of like, But then this, yeah, yeah the book release thing is like a slow motion because mm. like it'll go out and then like loved ones will be so happy for you. You know, they're, they're encouraging you all the way and then, and then like either they read or they didn't and either they say something or they don't, but then whatever you thought... Yeah. your exchange with them was going to be is always just sort of a <laughs> like a little bit maddening and so it's just kind of yeah. like eh, you know so oh well whereas I, I used to always say this to like my musician friends like you guys at least get to play and we get to stand yeah, it's like class. a social like, you get to have a performance mm. you dancers you know you musicians yeah. you know us we just get to like toil away in our studios and then we come out for this one party and we're yeah, we're I think that that will probably resonate with many of our listeners who are sort of working in you know, writing, research, production, like, it can be pretty thankless when it's, like, on pen and paper and, like, yeah. accessing an audience. Is but, and then, but, well, then that's my one riff that I did miss, and we could wrap up on this, is that the thing I learned from making this book was the most valuable thing was not these responses later, but the, the in-moment intentional making and the feelings that I got from it while I was making, just like music would, where it's about holding that note, it's about putting the notes together, it's about the the feeling and the and the circular connection I have to that emotion as it's happening, and I can be in that space, and and that was great. And so then being able to translate that into the final form that the you know the words on paper, the drawing of doodles on paper, then eventually become the book. It becomes the the PDF or whatever mm. people you know read it on. Um, that's a you know it's interesting because if, if 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 you can make it about if one can make it about that moment then then it's injected with that love and that care and, yeah. and so it transmits I think you know so so that's been that the space is the place type of mentality. Where can people buy your books? Oh sure, uh, copaceticcomics.com. Um, uh, couple set of comics in Polish Hill, Pittsburgh, White Whale Books.com, White Whale Books in Pittsburgh on in Bloomfield. Um, I would prefer you use them before, you know, try them. They can ship mm-hmm. even internationally, you know, and especially locally, you know, try them first before you try the other online giants yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, it's called Pittsburgh. It's from New York Review Comics, which is a, uh, which is New York Review Books of the New York Review Books. And, um, uh, yeah. You should really check them out. They're fantastic. They're very beautiful and evocative. And thank you. Thank you. Um, but people should check it out. Um, thank you very thank you. much. Thank you, sir. For your time. Our show today was produced and edited by Sophie Watsack. Reverb's co-producers are Alex Helberg, Calvin Pollock, and Ben Williams. You can subscribe to Reverb and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Android, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at www.reverbcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Reverbcast. That's R-E-V-E-R-B underscore C-A-S-T. Thanks for tuning in.